Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Well, good evening, and thank you guys all so much for coming. It is absolutely wonderful to see so many friends here. This feels like a hometown reading for me because this is where I started writing and lose class, and he's ordering pizza. Um, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> and I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and just looking at this audience, there, I was. I know most of you, and so it, it just feels like a, a coming home. Um, and thank you for coming out on a Monday night, particularly. Um, all right, so I would like to thank um, Skylight Books for having me here tonight, and I would particularly like to thank Lou Matthews for his inspired teaching and mentoring and many years of generous friendship. Um, and pizza. Uh, many years of generous pizza. Um, this evening I'm going to read um, a, from a story in my book, Boulevard Women, which is a collection of linked stories. And uh, if, a, if it's a linked short story collection, that means that each story should be able to be read independently by itself and alone solitarily. Um, but each story should also, when you read them all together, in order, it should be like a novel. All the stories kind of fit together. Um, and I've been in love with linked short story collections ever since I read Love Medicine, um, Louise Erdrich's wonderful book. And I teach a class on, on linked short stories at college, at the college I teach at. Um, so I was, I've been dying for years to actually write one, and so it was really fun to do that. Um, but I also wrote this book, I think, because I once read that all fiction is fueled by homesickness. And I lived in Georgia for six years, and I loved it there. And then I got a job in northern Minnesota, um, which is very cold, very snowy, and very unlike California or Georgia. Um, and so I think I started writing these stories just because I was homesick for Georgia. And also, when I lived in Georgia, I lived in a little town called Athens, and there was a, a street called Boulevard, and just the name in, intrigued me because it wasn't, you know, Vermont Boulevard, it was just Boulevard. And it was full of old antebellum homes, Victorian homes, and so I, and it had oaks that overarched the street and made it like a canopy, and I used to love to take walks there, and I'd romanticize about the lives of the people that lived in these cool houses, um, unlike my, you know, graduate student shack. And, um, so these stories kind of evolved out of out of that, and it was so nostalgia was part of writing them, and I think this book is kind of my love letter to the South. Um, but as I started writing the stories, I realized that it was becoming a way for me to explore what growing up and growing older is like for a woman in contemporary America. And it also gave me a chance to explore some of the issues that were interesting me while I was living in the South, such as inter, um, interracial relationships and 
um, what religion was like in the South um, today. And these stories focus on three characters, a teenager named Layla, a middle-aged waitress named Leona, and an elderly spinster named Thalia. And the book opens in the summer of 2005 and it ends in the summer of 2008. And since these stories are supposed to stand alone, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to start reading. Um, so the story I'm going to read from is called Come Look at the Moon. <clears throat> Layla's mom and stepdad didn't shout or hurl things. They quarreled upstairs in their bedroom late at night, their voices hushed. Roused from sleep by their harsh whispers, Layla sat up, yawned, and pushed her hair out of her eyes. A breeze had come up and dim shadows flickered on the walls as she got out of bed and tiptoed to the door. Wary of the hall's creaking floorboards, she leaned out her door and listened to the darkness. It was clear, Janice hissed, that Paul's family thought she and her girls were trash. If Paul had the balls of a goddamn chipmunk, he wouldn't expose her or the girls to that kind of emotional abuse. Layla smirked as Paul begged Janice to give it some time. It served her mom right for dragging them clear across the country to this sweltering, bug-infested town, all to marry a guy she'd been dating for like 10 minutes. Layla was only 14, and even she knew her mom's rash marriage wasn't turning out so hot. Lying on Miss Thalia's porch swing the next day, her chin in her hands and her feet kicking the air, Layla wondered if all married people were discontented, if true love was the same as religion, something people believed in because the alternative was unbearable. On this warm September afternoon, they were having tea on the side porch, a ritual Miss Thalia had inaugurated during the summer. Layla had accepted the first invitation out of boredom, but soon found herself enjoying the old lady's company. They talked about books, argued politics, discussed the ineffable charm of carousels, and pondered the whereabouts of butterflies at midnight. And when Layla had problems with her stubborn mom or her stupid little sister, she profited from Miss Thalia's advice. Miss Thalia had gone inside to answer the phone. When she returned, Layla pushed back her dark bangs and said, Can I ask you something sort of personal? You can ask. The old lady refilled their cups, then sat down and smoothed her house dress over her knees. Sit up straight, child. Don't lie there thrashing your legs like you've got ants in your pants. Layla hunched a rebellious shoulder, then sat up with her feet on the floor, her knees together. She picked up the Wedgwood cup, blew on her tea, and watched the dark surface ripple. I just wondered, well, why you never married? Did you now? Miss Thalia's pale eyes became thoughtful. I suppose the wrong man asked me. The first one was a lawyer. He was nice enough, but he had bad breath, and his eyes bugged out like my Aunt Lily's bulldog. The second one, Tom Gordon, was my older brother's friend and from a prominent family. His great-great-grandfather was a Civil War hero and a state senator. Now Tom was attractive, dark eyes and hair, good cheekbones. Like Mr. Darcy. Layla had just read Pride and Prejudice on Miss Thalia's recommendation. Now Leona, the waitress who rented Miss Thalia's carriage house, was reading it. But unlike Mr. Darcy, Tom would have made an awful husband, a domestic tyrant and unfaithful, a horrible combination. Miss Thalia rubbed her arthritic thumb. There are far worse fates than spinsterhood. And then, Layla asked. The old lady withdrew her gaze from the past. And then, nothing. I was 23 when Tom proposed, and the women in my family fade quickly. 
She sipped her tea. So, no more proposals. Mother kept hoping, but I didn't. Not after I refused Tom. That was back in 1955, over 50 years ago. She narrowed her eyes in a sly smile. I'd guess your mother wasn't even born yet. But Layla knew better than to blab her, mo her mom's age, especially to Miss Thalia, who Janice called a meddling old snoop. What did you look like back then, she asked. Miss Thalia thought for a moment, then set down her teacup and left the screened porch. When she came back, she, landed, she handed Layla a framed photograph of three young people standing on her front steps. I was 17 there, she said. In the picture, Miss Thalia had thick, dark curls, a lovely smile, and a thin nose. Behind her stood a young man with pale eyes and a tight-lipped smile. Beside her, a brown-eyed teenage boy stared somberly into the camera. Wow, Layla said, you were so pretty. I was, wasn't I? But age pairs us down to the essentials. That's why the elderly look as much alike as a litter of purebred puppies, the same way newborn babies all look alike. She pointed at the pale-eyed young man. That's my older brother, Clay, the one I go visit in Charleston. And that's my younger brother, William. Miss Thalia sighed. He turned out so wild, our daddy disinherited him. Of course, Will was living in Galveston by then, and we hadn't seen him in years. Layla nodded. She knew her father only from photographs and her mom's stories, so she understood about family members who acted like they had amnesia and didn't know they were related to you. Miss Thalia straightened her spine. Well, it's time for my nap. Another way old people are like puppies. Layla set the photograph on the table and gathered the tea things onto the silver tray. As they went into the kitchen, Miss Thalia asked, have you made any friends at school yet? Layla lowered the tray onto the counter, her long hair hiding her face, then looked up with a bleak smile. When I started middle school here last January, everybody already had their cliques, and it turns out that high school is just more people and a lot more cliques. Anyway, I'd rather hang out with you and Leona. Miss Thalia raised her eyebrows. Hang out? Is that what we do? Layla grinned. Spend time with, is that better? <clears throat> You'll make friends, and then you won't want to visit me so often. Miss Thalia smoothed Layla's hair. Don't you feel guilty when that happens? It's natural to want friends your own age, and guilt doesn't do anyone a lick of good. Surprised by the tender gesture, Layla smiled uncertainly. Well, thanks for tea, Miss Thalia. After Layla left, Thalia washed up the china, glad that her older brother couldn't see her now. No doubt Clay would say she was going soft in the head, first letting Leona rent the carriage house, then befriending the smart-mouthed little hoyden who'd moved in next door. But Layla had a quick mind and an affectionate heart, and the Lord said we should love our neighbors. She remembered the photograph and returned to the porch to retrieve it. Pressing the picture to the, her chest, she gazed out at the side street. The maples along the curb were starting to turn, the leaves light yellow or pale pink like tender skin. Soon they'd be red and orange, brilliant as the stained glass windows at Emmanuel Episcopalian Church, where she still sat in the pew her family had, also, had always occupied. On the Sunday after she'd rejected Tom Gordon, her brother Clay had scowled and fidgeted in the pew beside her, furious with her for rejecting his friend. Beyond him, their father's thin face was rigid with disappointment. 
and Will had stayed home again, yet another black mark against him. Still, she wished her little brother were beside her, stifling bored yawns and nudging her when Father Stanton extolled the womanly virtues of patience and obedience. After church, she stood blinking in the sunlight while her mother chatted with a neighbor. A gust of wind fluttered the women's dresses and tore the blossoms from a dogwood tree. The white petals swirled around Thalia, beautiful as snow, though in retrospect, they were an ill omen. As the autumn days shortened, Layla did make friends, though not the sort Thalia approved of. Barely in their teens, they were pierced and tattooed, flaunted rainbow-colored hair, the boys' jeans hung down below their underpants, and the girls wore gauzy tops that exposed their pudgy bellies. On a warm afternoon marbled with gray clouds, Thalia was checking her curbside mailbox when a Negro boy came out Layla's front door, his dreadlocks bobbing, a bandana around his head like those hoodlums on the evening news. He slouched toward Thalia. It wasn't so much that he was colored, it was his bored, bitter glance that alarmed her. She climbed the porch steps, feeling beset from all sides. First Leona wheedling her way <clears throat> into the carriage house, now hoodlums next door. And I'm going to stop and get a drink of water. Nearly as bad as the summer before last when those thugs and a prostitute Leona had befriended broke into Leona's house. Leona had shot one of them in the arm, something Thalia had to admire. It was one thing to keep a gun in your bedside drawer, another to aim straight, pull the trigger. The week before Halloween, Thalia was sitting on her front porch sipping a glass of sherry. A thin stream of evening traffic trickled up Boulevard from downtown, and neighbors were out strolling in the day's last warmth. Miss Thalia, Layla called from the sidewalk. She came up the front walk, dragging the Negro boy by the hand. Thalia didn't have to think. She stood up and moved to the steps, blocking their way. Evening, Layla. Layla beamed at her. Miss Thalia, I'd like you to meet Sterling. Sterling, this is my dear friend, Miss Thalia. The boy's gaze flicked from her, the porch to her, the windows. Good heavens, was he planning to rob her? Trying not to seem flustered, she said. How do you do, Sterling? I'm doing good, real good. And how are you doing? He gave an insolent smile. Miss Thalia. Fine, thank you. Her lips felt stiff, her palms damp. She heard herself ask if they wanted something to drink, a ginger ale maybe. <clears throat> no thanks. He paused, gave another mocking glance. Ma'am. We're going downtown, Layla explained, but I wanted to introduce you. Well, have a good time. Thalia forced a smile. Nice meeting you, Sterling. He nodded, his jaw masticating. She half expected him to spit a wad of chew into her hydrangeas. A few days later, Layla stopped by on her way home from school. While Thalia made tea, Layla set out the Wedgwood china. The day was cool, so they sat in the parlor. Layla curled on the couch in her sock feet, Thalia erect in her wingback chair. So how did you like Sterling, Layla asked. He's got mighty big feet. Layla laughed and hugged her knees. He gets me, gets who I am. I see, and do you get him? I know he's my friend. Hmm, and have you been friends long? About a month, maybe? 
We met at the food bank during service learning week. Layla smiled, shook her head. At first we argued nonstop, but now it's like we can tell each other anything. Thalia raised an eyebrow. Anything. Like how much I still miss California, and sometimes he talks about his ex, this girl Keisha who broke his heart last summer. You know, dear, Thalia paused, choosing her words. Sometimes it's unwise to confide in a new acquaintance too much, too quickly. She picked up a book from the table beside her armchair. Have you ever read Jane Eyre? I think you'd enjoy it. Layla stared at her. Then she set her teacup in its saucer. Sterling's an A student, Miss Thalia, from a good family. His dad's a doctor and his mom's a school nurse. He's named after a famous black poet you probably never heard of. She slid her feet into her clogs. I thought you'd understand. I thought you'd like him. She stood up and put on her coat. Thank you for tea. Thalia rose as quickly as her arthritic hip allowed. Sit down and finish your tea, dear. I'm sure he's a nice boy. I just wanted to drop a hint, caution you. Layla picked up her book bag from the floor. I'm sorry, but I can't stay. A moment later, the front door slammed. Alone in the parlor, Thalia stared at Layla's abandoned teacup, saw the girl's gaze hardening into anger. She'd seen that look before in her brother's brown eyes, and she'd never been able to forget it. She'd been sitting at her bedroom mirror after church, pondering her bleak future, when chairs scraped and china clinked in the dining room below. She'd hastily brushed the white dogwood petals from her hair before she ran downstairs to Sunday dinner. Thalia closed her eyes, remembering China gleaming on a white damask tablecloth, <clears throat> her brother Clay forking a slice of roast rump onto his plate. It's pink rump roast, not roast rump. That would be disgusting. <laughs> forking a slice of rump roast onto his plate, its pink juice seeping into his mashed potatoes. Too angry to heed their father's pinched nostrils and thinned lips, Clay said, I hope you're happy, Thalia. I hope you like being an old maid. But Will had smiled and said she was better off a spinster than married to a pompous asshole like Tom, who kept half the whores on Barber Street in garter belts. Their father dabbed his mouth with his napkin. Then his fist slammed the table. You will apologize now, sir. Charles, their mother pleaded, it's Sunday. I don't give a damn what day of the week it is. He narrowed his eyes at Thalia. Is that why you rejected Tom Gordon? Because of William's filthy innuendos? Thalia's face had burned with shame. Will always did this, always opened his mouth and set ugliness loose among them. As if I'd listened to Will, she said with a tight smile. That was Eddie I saw you with, wasn't it, Will? Kissing in broad daylight? The shock in Will's dark eyes hardened into anger. Their mother gasped and said, Our Eddie? You were kissing our Eddie? Will sighed. We don't own them anymore, Mama. In broad daylight, their father closed his eyes. Are you crazy, son, or just plain stupid? Neither, sir. Will pushed back his chair and dropped his napkin on the table. I don't believe you've been excused, Clay said. But he was talking to Will's back. A moment later, the front door slammed. Rapid footsteps crossed the porch and faded down the front walk. Later that afternoon, Thalia tapped on Will's bedroom door, gingerly pushed it open. Even now, the scene was a bright vignette surrounded by the darkness of the intervening years. Will was studying at his desk, a nimbus of sunlight around his head, a cigarette smoldering between his fingers. When he looked up, she said, 
I'm sorry I lost my temper. His arm on the back on the chair back, he contemplated her, then said, You know, Mama's gonna have to fire Eddie. Oh, she wouldn't. Daddy will make her whether she wants to or not. Well, I'm sorry, but you should have known. Known what? That you'd rat us out the first chance you got? He stubbed out a cigarette. You can shut the door on your way out. And I think I will stop there. Thank you. So now I think if anyone has any questions, I will answer them. And if not, I'll just stand here for a moment and we'll have a moment of silence. <laughs> Whatever happened to Mr. Dark? Mr. Who? Mr. Black. Mr. Dark. Mr. Darcy? No, no, no. <laughs> From 30 years ago. You don't what? remember your own short story? No, I do, but I'm not sure what you're referring to, Lou. Okay. <laughs> Whatever happened to Mr. Dark 30 years ago? Oh, the guy she turned down? Yeah. Oh, he just went on whoring. <laughs> he was no good. She was right to, to just not marry him. Yeah. Mr. Tom Gordon, yeah. Yeah, actually, I did some research on that character because I thought I might write a story about him. And it, the family that I was basing him on is the prominent statesman was also a founding member of the Ku Klux Klan. So quite the prominent Georgia family. Yes, ma'am. How did you structure it since it's a novel and stories? Stories sort of were you jumping back yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and what really intrigues me about writing a short story, you know, these linked short stories, I, I did it in chronological order, which is definitely not the only way to do it, obviously. Oh, Phil. Um, <laughs> you were warned. I'll call you right back. I'm out in Georgia no more. But the fun part was that. Um, was the things that you can leave out between the chapters and have people refer to between the stories. And, and so some of the story actually takes place off stage. Some events happen off stage. Um, and then what interested me most is the point of view shifts from story to story. So you, sometimes you get the same event from different points of view. So I tended to just kind of go chronologically, skip the dull stuff, go to the parts I wanted to cover, and let everything else kind of happen off stage. And the linking things were those three characters and a few other satellite characters and Boulevard, where all three characters live within, you know, a stone's throw of each other. So that was kind of my anchoring thing. Yeah. Leona comes back into it a little bit later on. Leona comes in and out throughout. Yeah, she's a. She, she stars the first yeah. story. I thought she was going to be the main character, and Thalia was supposed to be a, just kind of a foil. Um, and sort of the, the snippety older, you know, southern lady. And she had so much personality, she wouldn't stay out of the book. She kept just kind of elbowing people aside. And so now, like, a huge chunk of the book is about her. Because um, she, she was an interesting character and capable of a lot of growth. So this is, this is her early on before a whole lot of things shake up her world. So, yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, He's going to stump me again. No, California. Um, 
have one character who's from California? Actually, I have two. Okay. Um, Leona met her husband when he was in the Navy in, in San Diego, like years and years ago, and they got married when he got out and they moved back to Georgia where his family had a hardware store in Athens. Um, and Layla's mother married this man and took her and her her other daughter to live in Athens you know, very recently. And I did that partly because I wasn't sure if I could write a point of view character who was born and raised in Georgia since I lived there a brief six years and didn't even get there until I was in my 30s. You know, so I kind of thought, I don't know if I can pull this off. I'd better have some California characters here too. And the other thing that surprised me is how many Californians there were in Georgia. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought I was going to be like this exotic, you know. Oh, no, no. I'm like, oh, another Californian. So, yeah. But that's the only story, the first story is the only story that's set in California as Layla takes off. Yeah. Is Minnesota I have written about th two short, three short stories about Minnesota. Um, it's a surprisingly easy place to write about because it's so weird. Uh, so I think I will probably keep, you know, every so often writing a short story about that. But actually right now I'm working on a novel, once again, trying that form um, that's set in California because around Santa Barbara because we need another novel in a, the world about Santa Barbara. Uh, places just, it always interests me because I, I lived in Santa Cruz for 11 years and never wrote about it. Yeah. Always wrote about Los Angeles. As soon as I possibly can. <laughs> that is the plan. I loved Georgia. I have become fond of Minnesota, but it just doesn't feel like home. So yeah, and it's but you know it's the same thing. I tried to. I lived in Santa Barbara for about ten years, and I had tr been trying to write about Santa Barbara since I lived there, and was could never do it. Just couldn't do it. And now, finally, after not living there for about thirty years, I think I can write about it. Couldn't write about Georgia till I. I'd never wrote about Georgia when I was living there. I was writing about L.A. You know, but, but for some reason, I can write about Minnesota while I'm there, probably because it freaks me out so much. <laughs> so that would probably be it. It's just it's such a different world. You're from yeah. So you go up there and you. Just sort of like, this is still the United States, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's so cold. Yes, ma'am. The um, Yeah. Friend here, um, Heritage. Um, we do share these stories of the type. And uh, I also know you were in Iowa for a couple of years. Because I don't know. That's a Never. <laughs> I was only there for two years. Um, it was flat. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, you know, and I tried to write a couple of stories while I was there that were about Iowa, and they all kind of bombed big time. I just couldn't even get them done, I don't think. But, you know, the thing about those those Scandinavian bachelors, far, those bachelor farmers, they're hard to write about because they're hard to find. You know, it's like they're out, they're out in some farm in the middle of nowhere. They never come to town. You know, when they do, they don't talk. So, yeah, if you're not related to one, you may never get to have a conversation. Yeah. 
There, I'm stereotyping. Yes. So everything you're talking about, you're talking about writing via place. Yes. So why is place so important to you? Oh, well, I think that place is for, which way do I want to answer this? Several directions at once. Um, I think part of it is because I lived in one place, you know, in Southern California for, you know, 35 years, and then I started living in other places, and so that's had a huge impact on the second part of my life. Um, and it's been such a learning experience to see how different this country is depending on where you're living and what the values are. And, I mean, I was, when I first went to Iowa, you know, straight from Los Angeles, um, I was in culture shock. I mean, people went to church, uh, like lots of people, like everyone but me. Um, you know, it was just, it was really, so I think that that's part of it, is just that I've had such, places had such an impact on me. But I also think the place is really wrapped up in home. And I think that a lot of my characters are looking for home in some way, and I think that a lot of people, most of us, you know, if we find it, we want to hold on to it, we want to keep it, we will fight for it. Um, if we don't know where it is, we keep looking for it. And so I think that's a real drive for people, and so I think that's partly, and also I like writing description. So place comes into that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? All right, well thank you very, very much for coming out tonight. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.